You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Gate Church in Lethbridge, Alberta. For more information, to contact us, or to support this ministry, please visit thegate.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, Again, thank you for joining us for our uh, church online. This is the third Sunday that we've had uh, this kind of video service. So Pastor Greg shared with us the message on the first week and last week as well. So having done it twice, I would say at this point, he's basically an expert at preaching to the camera. Uh, As for myself, this is my first go at it. So I ask that you um, bear with me as I try this out. Um, I am excited about what's happening today. We've already been celebrating Palm Sunday, and I want to say that I love Palm Sunday. I love this day, which uh, surprises me every year as as we approach Easter. I tend to focus on the fact that Easter's coming, and yet here we are one week away, and we read the account of Jesus' entrance into the city of Jerusalem, the people waving the palm branches and shouting and worshiping him, uh, laying their clothes for the donkey to walk on and things like this. It's an incredible story. And I would also uh, encourage you uh, to read it. You can pick any four of the Gospels and find it, or all four, and read the account of the triumphal entry at some point today or this week. Um, I'm also amazed by it. Uh, there's, there's this excitement that's palpable. Um, momentum has been building in the life and ministry of Jesus up until this point. Uh, and, and just prior to the triumphal entry, we can read of one of Jesus' most incredible miracles, one that uh, foreshadows the events of Easter, where his friend Lazarus is, is dead and in the grave, and, and Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and he's alive again. And so it's things like this that um, have the people of Jerusalem keyed up with excitement as this a man named Jesus, this radical rabbi, comes into their city for the Passover feasts, and uh, he he leads and he heals supernaturally. And so everyone's asking who he is and what he's about to do. And surely the disciples themselves are wondering what Jesus' next big move is going to be as they come into the Passover time in Jerusalem. Uh, but part of what amazes me is uh, the contrast between the excitement of this day and what actually happens in the days that follow. The people were rejoicing as Jesus entered the city. Uh, They had a sense of prophetic fulfillment as Jesus rides in on the donkey. This is a fulfillment of one prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem! Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. He's humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. So the people weren't wrong to rejoice greatly and celebrate. In fact, what they were doing is something that they've anticipated doing for centuries and waited and longed for. The king was coming. 
They rejoiced greatly. They shouted Hosanna. They waved palm branches around. But surely these people on Palm Sunday in Jerusalem did not understand and would not have predicted the way that the Messiah would save them. So this is what amazes me about Palm Sunday, in part, is the contrast between the parade at hand and the events that follow only a few days afterwards. There are crowds who hailed Jesus and were singing to him as their savior, were unaware of the fact that the victory parade of Palm Sunday was, in a sense, a march down death row towards the cross. Now, as I said, we can read the story of Palm Sunday and Easter in the different Gospels. And, and, and it's easy for us, from our perspective, to think that we have, you know, the bird's eye view. We can see all of the events and the way they're playing out. And, and not just the crucifixion, but the burial and resurrection of Jesus and all that we celebrate in Easter and his ascension and so on and so forth. But if we think of the people in Jerusalem on this day and we put ourselves in their shoes, we'll quickly find that we're not unlike them at all. They didn't have the bigger picture of what God was doing on Palm Sunday. And like them, we ourselves don't have the big picture and complete understanding of what's happening here and now and in the days to come. There are so many things that are outside of our control or our understanding that we, if we're honest, have to humbly admit that we don't always understand or have a grasp on what's going on here and now. Our perspective is limited. So this Palm Sunday, I will take the opportunity to challenge us about the ways that we deal with our expectations of life, our expectations of God, and in many cases, our disappointment with God and with life. And I want to talk about this because I know that many, if not all of us, are dealing with a lot of disappointment now, aren't we? Much of what we expect life to look like has been paused or even taken away from us for the time being. I don't know about you, but I did not expect to be celebrating Palm Sunday by myself in Greg's office. No offense to Greg, your office is lovely. But I thought we would be together. We did not expect to have our schedules, our plans, our employment, and our general sense of security suddenly jeopardized by a tiny but powerful flu virus. And for this, we feel a wide range of emotions. But here we find ourselves in a moment of disappointment about what has occurred. And at the same time, surely we find ourselves building certain expectations and anticipations about what is going to occur moving forward. Now, Christians 
our right to place our expectations on God. And in fact, this is foundational to our worldview and the way that we live and work. We place our expectations or our hope in the Lord. Psalm 62, 5-6 in the King James Version says this, My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. So we place our hopes, we place our expectations upon God as the one who saves Now, my question for us today is, what happens when the God who saves does not work in the specific ways which we may have imagined or expected him to? To put it again in our unique context, we did not anticipate this virus. We didn't anticipate isolation as a solution to this problem, but here we are. So how are we dealing with our disappointments? And what do we expect from God moving forward? Now, before we can answer these questions, I think we have to discuss the power that expectations actually have a little bit more. Um, Anne Lamott, an author, puts it in uh, perhaps a cynical way, but I wanted to read what she says. Um, She says that expectations are resentments under construction. Expectations are resentments under construction. Now this, as I said, sounds a bit cynical, but but let's think about it for a moment, what it means. I I read it as this. If left unchecked, my man-made expectations have the ability to set me up for disappointment, and my disappointments can very quickly lead me to resentments for the failure of what I expected to see. It's no doubt that there were people in the crowds surrounding Jesus and celebrating him on Palm Sunday who expected Jesus not just to come into the holy city, but to do something big and awesome. Something where he would finally show the power of the kingdom of God and, and I don't know, maybe do something like wipe out um, the oppressive systems that they were living under with the Roman ruler. And, and things like this. And, and who knows? There were all kinds of different expectations and hopes placed upon Christ on Palm Sunday. But what a disappointment to see him dying naked on the cross just a few days after this triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The point is, if we look to God and allow our expectations to control what we expect to see, a particular outcome that we have in mind, whatever it may be, something that we've seen God do in the past or read or or that's just kind of come into our mind without us thinking about it. If we base our expectations on these things instead of on God himself, then we are setting up the rules for the game by which we expect God to play instead of the other way around. And this is a flaw in our thinking of who God is and who we are. 
uh, writer Jonathan Merritt says it this way. He says, it's easy for us to become disillusioned when God steps in and tears away idols. We are disappointed when God acts as God instead of the version of him that we've imagined. We're disappointed when God acts as God instead of the version of him that we have imagined. So that's what we're talking about today is doing away with some of our imaginings of God and coming back to who he is and surrender to his will and trusting in this. Because as I said, our expectations for God's work have the ability to deceive us into thinking that we're the ones in the driver's seat with God as our co-pilot, as the popular bumper sticker used to say. And if we want God to play by our expectations, then there will be times, again and again, where we're sorely disappointed by a life in pursuit of Jesus, where we're disillusioned with who God is and what we expected him to do because of what we had laid out for him. We see Jesus, he is the humble king who rides in on a donkey, one who comes to serve and to rule in mercy and to heal. But he's also not just a person who bends to serve me in whatever way I might demand of him or expect of him. He's greater than that. He's more powerful than that. He's more loving than that. Jesus is humble, but he is holy. He is awesome, and he is the mighty king who enters the city of Jerusalem triumphantly the week before Easter. We've been talking about Jesus, the Messiah, prophesied and the people having this in their mind as they see him coming into the city. Uh, I want to return to Daniel. I'm not preaching this morning from our Exiles sermon series, which we've been doing, but we love Daniel too much to stay away from it. Um, so in, in Daniel chapter 7, there's a dream of Daniel, and in part of it, Daniel sees the Messiah and describes him in this way. Daniel seven thirteen to 14, he says, I continued watching in the night visions, and suddenly one like a son of man was coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was escorted before him, and he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, so that those of every people, nation, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will not be destroyed. And so this is a prophecy prior to Jesus of what kind of king he would be, truly, after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension, we have the visions of John at the very end of the New Testament. And in Revelation eleven fifteen, his description is, is similar to what we just read in Daniel. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You see, Jesus 
is a more divinely awesome and glorious king than we can ever actually imagine in our own understanding. And while we struggle with the difficulties that we face today, we have to understand that Jesus is ruling over all things. Jesus is ruling over things of the past. Jesus is ruling over everything in the present, and he continues to rule over things that are still yet to come. This is the God who we serve. So let's ask again, how do we manage or operate with our human expectations of what we expect God to do in this moment? Does this mean that we are called to simply ignore our disappointments and pretend that everything is fine because God is in control? Or should we let go of the hope for the reality of of God's work in our lives here and now? And my answer to both of those questions is absolutely not. In fact, quite the opposite. It's not about having no expectations or lowering our expectations, but it's about placing them on someone different, placing them on God in trust. So the first step of handling our expectations appropriately in this setting that we find ourselves is trust. It is trusting that God is who he says he is and that his promises are eternally true. And in trusting him, we have to recognize our tendencies to, as I said, project our our man-made expectations upon him and surrender them to him. And as we do this, we'll find the Lord graciously taking them and, and all of the anxieties that go along with them and replacing our expectations with the ability to trust in him and the mystery of his perfect will for us. As the psalm we read at the start stated, our hope and our salvation is in God himself. And it is on him that we wait and that we expect. Our hope and our salvation is not on the particular way that we want God to move and operate in this time or that we see fit for this moment. No, we wait on him. We expect him and him alone. We wait on the Lord. So as we wait on the Lord and as we trust him today, the next step that I would say in this period of waiting and trusting is to maintain an open and honest communication with God. Um, Any relationship person will tell you that the moment that two people stop having any uh, having communication with one another is the moment that the relationship is in very uh, bad shape. And it's similar with us and God. You see, God wants intimacy with us. He wants, in fact, we were designed to know and be known by him. And one of the best ways for us to do this is, is simply through prayer and conversation and speaking to the Lord. And so I want to invite you to do that uh, intentionally today and in the days to come. Um, Brian McLaren writes that along with our anxieties and our hurts, 
We are also to bring our disappointments to God. If anxieties focus on what might happen, and hurts focus on what has happened, and disappointments focus on what has not happened. Again, as the saying goes, revealing your feelings is the beginning of healing. So simply acknowledging or naming our disappointments to God is an important move. This is especially important because many of us, if we don't bring our disappointments to God, will blame our disappointments on God and thus alienating ourselves from our best hope of comfort and strength. I want to read that last statement again. This is important for us to do because if we don't bring our disappointments before God, we will blame our disappointments on God and alienate ourselves from our best hope of comfort and strength here and now. So you and I have the ability, the invitation to communicate openly with God, to pray our hopes, our needs, and indeed our disappointments to him as a way of gaining perspective on things and finding his will and his hope for us today. Now I can testify to this in my own life. For example, while I openly express what I'm afraid of to God in words, I can be reminded that though God may not cater to my man-made expectations that I've built up, he does promise and he is faithful in meeting my needs. And it's in prayer that I will be reminded that I have to stop casting God in my own image and instead be remade in the image of him and open to his sovereignty over my life. On the other hand, if I don't confess and if I don't pray to the Lord in my own words, what I'm thinking and feeling, then I'm far more likely to miss out on the voice of the Holy Spirit who will speak truth into my confusion. This is far too big of an opportunity for us to ignore or miss out on today. The opportunity to pray to God and hear his truth in our confusion. So I encourage you uh, going forward today and this week to be aware of the thought patterns that are circling your mind as you deal with your stresses, anxieties and disappointments of life in this moment. Bring whatever you have in God to in prayer bring what you have to the lord in prayer and surrender them back to him as your savior the savior who rode into jerusalem on palm sunday and while the scene darkens towards good friday be reminded of who jesus is that his dominion lasts forever that it will not pass away and that nothing can destroy the kingdom of heaven where Jesus rules eternally. And as we progress through the struggles, through the victories of the week to come, we must be aware of how our expectations of God's work are operating and affecting our vision for what he's actually doing in this moment to redeem things for the glory of his name. 
I wanted to share the words of Jesus that continue to ring true in my ears and my heart in this time. From Matthew 6, 33 and 34, and no doubt you've heard them uh, already, perhaps recently. Matthew 6, 33 and 34. Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus is the one who understands our troubles and can bear our burdens. He can understand and bear these things better than we can, better than any other person can or system can. In fact, he's the only one who accurately knows what we are dealing with right now. What's further is he's not surprised or panicked by what's going on around us. A father in heaven continues to be in control. Because of this, we have the profound invitation and opportunity to place our trust and our expectations in his ability to work all things for the good of those who love him. Our future is secured. This is promised for us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiling, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. These are the things in which we actively place our hope, our expectations for today. We can trust in God himself here and now, regardless of today's troubles, which are surely enough. Uh, Paul David Tripp says it this way, The peace and hope are never to be found in your efforts to figure out the future. So wherever your heart and mind are at today and this week, I invite you to lay them at the foot of the cross where God receives us in his grace and redeems us. Romans 3, to 24 says, The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, and there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And this is God's word to us. And as we respond to it this morning and this week, I pray that we would know more deeply the compassionate, loving presence of God the Father through the blood of his Son shed on our behalf for the forgiveness of our sins and present with us now through his Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, as we read about Palm Sunday and see Jesus coming into Jerusalem, may we be reminded of the sort of king that Jesus truly is. 
the kingdom that Jesus brings is not necessarily what any mortal man would have expected. And God, for that, I thank you. The king that we worship this morning is one that death could not hold down, but a king who is alive and who is mighty to save. We seek your face, Lord. We want to cast aside our own agendas in favor for what you have for us today in this life. So I pray that we would be encouraged, that we would be lifted up as we anticipate Easter. God, give us the courage to seek your kingdom in our own lives, in our own contexts, trusting in your plan and your power to work it out. God, we give you all the glory. We thank you for everything that you make possible for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.